and welcome to Combat Thoughts. I'm Robbie. I'm Lee. And I'm Alex. We're going to take a deeper look at culture and philosophy behind martial arts. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of Combat Thoughts. This week we have got another episode of Harry and we are discussing the cost of being great. We're discussing what it costs to become great in any field, but more specifically focusing on martial arts, uh, be that physical cost, be that cost to other aspects um, of your well-being or of your life, um, what uh, sacrifices are worth making in pursuit of your dreams, um, and, and what really the cost of being great means. So I hope you enjoy. All right, we are finally starting and actually recording it. So we're doing the cost of being great. We've replaced Alex with Harry because it's sunny. I know who and, Rob Font is. And you, <laughs> and you know who Rob Font is. Uh, we did wonder how long it would take you to mention that. And uh, I don't think anyone guessed 10 seconds. <laughs> I think 30, 30 was our lowest bet. Um, oh, so, um, yeah, cost of being great. I mean, um, we kind of discussed a little bit about kind of an agenda. Uh, so the more interesting bit is going to be like the social, um, you know, personal side of things. But, you know, we may as well cover off the sort of physical side of things first if we talk about MMA in general and jiu-jitsu and I guess, yeah, combat sports in general. Um, yeah, does anyone want to start with the physical side of things? All right, that's me. Fine. <laughs> um, so I think actually there is lots to talk about in the physical side because there's a couple of things, right? If I if I were to give a couple of you know overarching points about this, the first I think is obviously the wear and tear that you have on your body lower than your brain, right? So the arduous training sessions that you're going to have, the actual physical altercations on fight night they all total up to your body i mean if we if we use chris weidman as the most recent example in his conversation with ariel hawani he he listed off the surgeries yeah. that he's had up until this point including 10 knee surgeries 10 not one no 10 right and an absolute resume of other surgeries and this is you know at, at his prime an elite level fighter that's going in there. Every fighter goes into every fight partially damaged. Every fighter goes in there with bumps, bruises, all of these sorts of things. And all, all they're doing in their training camps is, is adding to that resume of injury, right? So the cost of being great, if we look at any of the high level fighters, let's just take the champions of old, right? Real old, like Rich Franklin and... Frank Shamrock and Frank Mir and Travis Brown, not that he was a champion. And, you know, these kinds of guys, the older school guys who, who contested with the older type of training where it was, we go in and we batter each other for six days a week and then we'll go and have acai and go to church on a Sunday, right? Like, I think that is a really pivotal point. But the second massive point for me the cost of being great is the head trauma, right? Yeah, I mean, just to touch on the first bit, it, it is interesting that in order to stay seriously competitive in the UFC, you can't flake if uh, if you're injured. It is baffling that everyone goes in injured. And I think that might be why you get so many... Um, I mean, pullouts at amateur level are notoriously frequent. And sure. I wonder if it's just the difference is that after a while, you're like, I just need to commit to it. You get injured, you're just going to carry on going when you're professional. At amateur level, you obviously going to... I mean, there's other aspects as well, like the psychological, the fear. Like, but I think this is probably an element of why there are so many pullouts at amateur level, is that... Early on, you shouldn't fight. You should let your knees heal. Otherwise, you are going to get arthritis and you're not going to be able to walk. But when there's a hundred grand on the line and your entire legacy, unless you're crippled, I think most people are going to carry on with it. Yeah, I mean, if you look I at think- like Bisping for the GSP fight, he was like, oh, his ribs are fucked. Then he took the Gaslam fight straight after. He was like, I know I'm coming to the end, 
but I'm taking this as a cash cow. I'm getting out with a bit more money. You look at what he's had to sacrifice to get to that point, though, like his vision. How many people go through a full career of MMA and don't have things like fused discs or severe back problems? You don't, you don't age well. And that's the kind of the trade-off is at 60, there's a chance you're not going to be able to pick up your grandkids. There's a chance you're going to struggle walking. You're not going to have athletic endeavors post-finishing, really. Yeah, I think Ronnie one Coleman thing just to way. touch on Ronnie Coleman all the way, but just to touch on something that you said, Robbie, I think there's a subsidiary point, right? And that subsidiary point is how the UFC guilt trip their fighters mm-hmm. specifically into taking fights, right? We know, and it is proven time and time again, that a fighter will turn down a fight for legitimate or whatever. I mean, all reasons, frankly, legitimate for turning down a fight. But they turn down a fight and the next two to three fights the UFC offer are the worst fights for your style possible, right? Mm -hmm. It is a dictatorship as much as it is a supposedly contractor to... But Harry, yes, they're independent contractors. (laughs) If they don't give themselves the time to recover, that's on them. Yes, Hunter Campbell, that's correct, you old fuck. But, um, you know, I think there is definitely some politics that are being played and some gamesmanship that are being played to force these, not force these fighters, but to persuade these fighters to fight, right? And if you if you think, oh, this is pro- I'm probably o- overlapping in our Venn diagram of agenda, but the cost of being great includes an incredible amount of mental sacrifice and mental commitment to a goal, Right. If that goal is dangled in front of you and then somebody says, well, if you don't fight, you're not going to get that title shot in three fights. You're going to take the fight, right? Mm-hmm. There's a good yeah. point. And I think the thing around the sacrifice you have to make for your body because of that that risk, you, you kind of take the risk with your body because you think, well, if I don't, it's going to be three more fights before I get there. That's more risk on my body, more chance of getting injured in camp. So you get pushed in stuff, but then there's a lot of people jumping in with injuries, not recovering, coming back way too soon to kind of jump back on the bandwagon to hopefully get there sooner rather than later. Yeah, ask Marlon Marais. Yeah. Uh, and... and, and- to bring it outside of the UFC, because um, I mean, because what we're talking about here is more like <laughs> scheduling. It's the fact that you're not allowing your body time to heal. Um, sure. You know, obviously the fights you're going to take a permanent ba- damage every time you have a serious fight, anyway, uh, and you have to have those serious fights in order to become great. But I think it's interesting that within, say, j- gi jujitsu, or you know, probably judo as well, everything like that. You know, you've seen people's hands. Oh, yeah. yeah. They look monstrous. But what I find interesting about that point is that that is almost uh, – it's almost completely linked with the sport. Where with the UFC, there could be a lot of mitigating factors, um, not all of them, but a lot of them, if they didn't treat the, their athletes so crap, they a lot of them would be dealt with. But gi jiu-jitsu, I don't know if you can get around – some of these physical problems like the hand problems i don't think you can become really good at grip-based fighting without this permanent damage and i think it's interesting that sometimes you've just got you're just going to go it's just part of the sport even if you don't become an absolute legend in order to just put the number of hours in that's damage you're going to have to take even though take it away from jiu-jitsu look at wrestling you ask any wrestler they'll say the same thing about having knee surgery it's, it's like a badge of honor in the wrestling world isn't it i've had 10 knee surgeries i've i have it scraped every three months and so like it's it's a par for the course if you're into that sport same as neck problems right mm-hmm. how say, many yeah. wrestlers do you say do you see with with fused discs like tito ortiz and these guys that have wrestled for a long long time um and they've got serious, serious problems, right? But then I think, and I don't want to drag this away from the, uh, the topic too much, but this is also dependent on how these people train too, right? Like if you are going and you're training so rigorously that you are putting your body under copious amounts of stress for the cost, you know, and you're totaling that stress against the balance sheet of being great, you're probably going to pay that price. But the question is whether you have to pay that price, 
right? And this is why I tried to allude to the, the fighters of old, because I think in the modern era of MMA, in the modern era of wrestling, in the modern era of jiu-jitsu, it's less and less about smashing bricks together to try and form a statue. Instead, it's attempted to carve a statue with, with fine materials, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess this is going to quite nicely transition into the um, above the neck part of this uh, this discussion. But um, yeah. I, I do think there's been a bit of a shift in recent years that that you ha- don't have to have gym wars. Shooter box mm. is not the only way to do it, and, and that counts for physical as well as the as your brain health because old thoughts like the old school mentality was you go in there and you train like you're going to fight mm. which is a very nice idea except for the fact that that means you're taking damage every time you fight and that means you're taking head trauma every time you fight um but yeah i mean i think in recent years there's been a lot more subtlety brought to it um and people are a lot smarter about it people are a lot more careful about how they're training and it kind of brings into question, like, do you need, because a lot of people take the attitude of, yeah, you're going to have to take that damage to be great. But I wonder, do you? Is, it, is, so is the actually, damage, is the physical damage specific to the great? Because I don't think, it, I think it's most. And I, I think what makes the greats, the greats, maybe some other things, but the cost of being great in terms of physical, I think everybody kind of gets the same kind of deal. Ah, see, I, I'm not sure about that. So I'm going I'm to make two points. The first point is, I imagine the reason why some of the greatest are the greatest is because they are already so good in the gym that they're not taking damage, right? Like if your skills acquisition is so much quicker and so much more profound and the compound interest of your skill acquisition is far greater than your training partners the likelihood of you taking damage is significantly less than the percentage of you dealing damage right i'll give a story about gsp that for us sahabi talks about all the time right and that is he used to bring guys into tristar just new guys from different gyms GSP would turn up for sparring. These guys were already there. They were already warm. And George would warm up and try, uh, for us would say, right, $10,000 to anyone that can knock, out, knock down GSP. Right? $10,000. Right? How many people knock down, knock down GSP? I'm assuming none. None. none <clears throat> right? Now, that was a mental game that for us played. Right? But he's bringing in guys to try and force GSP to act in a certain way. But the skills acquisition that GSP had mastered at that point was so superior to everyone else, his ability to take damage is far less, right? We look at Habib Nurmagomedov. In MMA sparring, how many times do you think he's been seriously rocked? The answer's probably not many. Yeah, well, it's an interesting point to compare um, Habib and uh, Ferguson, and Ferguson's style is far more pro- – it's not even about lack of skill. Just his specific style is far more prone to taking damage and relying on his chin to absorb damage, whereas Habib's style is about control of opponents and taking away the weapons that they want to use. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from that point of view – yeah, I wonder if, yeah, you do have to take that damage to, you know, the, it's not necessarily about level of skill, but it's almost about style, I think, about whether but you're going to take that damage Is Tony Ferguson not. great? Like, is Tony uh, Ferguson great? I mean, I have to say, I think if, you know, there's a, there's a common list you see online. It's like, oh, greatest fighters ever to have not won uh, the UFC title. He's, he's up there. That, he's, that, he's, that, list, not, that list, by definition, is fighters who are not great. Right. No, it is. It is. Of course it is. Of course it is. It has to be. Like, if, if, if you were on the greatest fighters list, you wouldn't be on a list that said greatest fighters to not win the title. You'd be on the, the list of fighters to say great. And actually, that list is, that title is a faux title, right? What that list is entailing is the, the most in, entertaining fighters. Right? That's really what that is. 
right? Because you're going to see Diego Sanchez on there. You're going to see, I mean, BJ would have been on there if he hadn't won the title, but you're going to see guys that go in and have absolute wars with people. Right? It's a, on that it's list. a list of the second class fighters in the greatness perspective. It's Uriah right. Faber. He is very good and he is better than ninety nine percent of everybody else. But he's not that good. Now, you, you know what though? I, I kind of think I disagree and because I, I don't think the belt is a good way to determine it because of how uh well, this is going to derail it a little bit, but how stupid it is how the UFC can elect who is the champion or not. Now, at the time of winning their respective belts, you know, Ferguson, the interim belt, and Habib, the actual belt, they did the same thing. It's just Habib was at the right time. They both beat someone who wasn't meant to be the bloody champion. Like, they were never going to win. It's just Ferguson got the interim belt. because I can't even remember what the situation was at the time. And the difference is that Connor ended up um, getting stripped of the belt and then Habib did the next fight. So he got the actual title. If Ferguson's fight had happened a few months later, he would have been UFC champion. And then he would have been great by that definition. I don't think I mean, the UFC that, belt is a good that's definition. Not, that's not quite true. Like, no, in saying that the list of UFC fighters never to win the title means that Tony Ferguson isn't great. That's not then by definition me saying that if you win the belt, you're great. I think what I am saying, though, is it, my definition, my personal definition of being great is either changing the sport, right, which I don't think Tony Ferguson did, or winning the belt and defending it multiple times, which Tony Ferguson also didn't do. Like, if Habib had fought Tony Ferguson, what do you think was going to happen? It's not going to go well for Tony, that's for sure, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> we say Conor got stripped of the belt and then Habib won the next fight. Well, we've already seen what happens when Conor and Habib fight, right? Gatesy was the next guy up. Absolutely obliterated Tony. What happened with him and Habib? Wasn't close, Right. You think if Tony and uh, if Habib and, and Dustin fought again, it would be any closer? I bet you it fucking wouldn't, right? Like greatness to me, is, you're absolutely right. It doesn't, it doesn't end when you win that title, right? It doesn't. It's what you do when you have it, right? And I think that to me is is the the notion of greatness, which is why Tony Ferguson isn't great. Is he a legend of the sport? Oh my God, yes. Unbelievable amount. If he's not in the UFC Hall of Fame when he eventually retires, a travesty has happened. But is he great? No, I don't think so. I, I, yeah, great. Uh, I think the pool of greatness, especially in MMA, is very small. Oh God, yeah. Like there, there's a, a handful of there's fights. an elite few. I, I don't extend yeah. greatness down to Cowboy Cerrone's and people like that. Like it's good, entertaining legends, like you said. But the actual greats of the sport are the are very few. You've kind of, yeah. I don't need to name them. I'm sure we know who they are. But like, there's only a few. And I think what I want to kind of push from this is what differentiates them. How how are they bigger, mm. better than everybody else in terms of the physical, mm. mental aspects of the sport, which help them be like. What what did GSP do different to everybody else? Was he just purely a tactician? Did he dedicate himself purely to being tactically better than everybody else and understand the sport better? Is that his differentiator? Is that what he had to do to be great? Because about some point I made earlier, not to harp on about it, I think the physical side of it. It's pretty consistent. There's, there's there's differences, but you have to make a physical sacrifice, and that's me having one or two fights or GSP having loads of fights. I had to make a physical sacrifice. I've bashed my knee up. I've hurt my back. I'm sure GSP's back isn't great. But what changes for the greatest? Well, actually, I kind of see what you're. I kind of wonder in that case if we're going to talk about Habib and GSP. Well. It, it, it is damage received actually a requirement for being great in that case I, like we debated this to start with actually i'm kind of leaning the other way now because yeah it's it sounds more like to be serious in mma you need to take a certain amount of damage <laughs> that i assume we can all agree on <laughs> um but actually gsp well, I mean, you know, the odd fight for sure, but plenty of people who are much worse than him have taken a lot more damage. <laughs> and Habib, actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's busted up his knees or whatever. 
But I don't think he's actually taken that many shots in the grand scheme of things. And then this is my point. look at Anderson. Anderson made a career of not getting hit, and the greats right. don't seem to take that much damage. They seem to. Israel Adesanya, Conor McGregor in his rise, they don't get hit, right? Not properly, anyway, right? Now, this is this was essentially my point previously about skill acquisition, right? The greats that we see don't take damage. Now, I asked a question of an amateur MMA fighter in the UK. What is his opinion on hard sparring for amateurs, right? Um, because and I won't name any names, but I know a few people that are my friends that are amateurs. Uh, they haven't had fights yet, uh, but they are gearing up and getting ready to have amateur, amateur debuts, right? Now, they're hard sparring a lot. And a couple of them have taken concussions already, right? A, t- a couple of them are waking up with headaches and lots of pain that you would consider abnormal for a 19-year-old learning how to fight, right? And, you know, I asked the question of the, the amateur MMA fighter. He's had two, three, four fights, been training for a long time. And I said, what's your opinion? As somebody that's more educated than me, I've never had an MMA fight. And his opinion is that, yes, you need to hard spar. And I do agree, right? But the frequency of the hard sparring, the frequency of... And hard sparring can relate to anything other than MMA. Wrestling rounds, grappling rounds, judo rounds, whatever it is, right? Hard sparring is necessary. But the frequency specifically pertaining to MMA, where you're taking head trauma, I think has to be massively, massively managed. And in the likes of... GSP or Habib, just to use these two guys that we're... Or let's take Kamar Usman, my opinion, great, right? We take those three fighters. Good fucking luck getting close. Good luck. Good luck. Right? So, sorry, I'll just round out this point. Like, I have, I have sort of two thoughts. The first thought is, I think the skills acquisition is one of the main factors as to why we see people become great and others not become great, right? And the second point I'm going to make is how many fighters do you think we could see vault into the greatness conversation if the point, the pivotal point of training was about skills acquisition rather than about taking the necessary damage to get you ready for an MMA fight? Hmm. Is that the cost of being great? Yeah, because we've kind of determined what's not the cost over the past 20 minutes. <laughs> not necessarily the cost. Um, we've got the cost of doing MMA. That's what we've established quite well, but mm-hmm. we're struggling to get any further than that at the moment, aren't we? But I, I think I mean, there's a cost of not being great. So if we take skills acquisition as the differentiator and the, what, what the greats have, what the others don't is they can acquire skills quicker, faster, better than their peers. Is there then a cost to not being great where people rely on toughness to try and bridge that gap? And then the not greats take more of a hit because they train harder. They try and do double sessions. They risk things more in sparring because they can't acquire the skills. So actually, is it an inverse where the non-greats pay more of a price? I think that is an absolutely fantastic point for two reasons. The first reason is if you're a fighter that is quote-unquote destined for greatness, right? What's better for you than a tough training partner? Like, well, let me give love off to Conor McGregor. Yeah. Thank you. Right. The man that just doesn't seem to die, <laughs> Artem Lobov, the goat, right? who has been hit tens of thousands of times at this point mm-hmm. by one of the most dangerous strikers of our era. He's not great. Right. Could he have been? Maybe. Who knows? Right. But when you get to a certain level. There's a hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a hierarchy that works itself out. In the same vein, that if you're a grappler, a jiu-jitsu athlete, let's just say, you're not going to try brand new stuff on a black belt. It won't work. You have to test these things out. 
Well, when you're testing things out as Conor McGregor and you're working out whether a wheel kick or a spinning round kick or whatever it is, is going to work, or this, you're perfecting that pullback left hand, you're not practicing on it on your A-star guys. You're practicing on it on the new guy or the scrub or this or that or the next thing. And regardless of whether that person is kind to you and doesn't hit you with everything, you're still getting hit, right? So the real strange dichotomy that you have in these situations is if skill acquisition isn't the main focus and there's more focus laid upon hard sparring and conditioning and this sort of thing, you're almost stunting the opportunity for greatness because the people are already your top tier of greatness are dealing lots of damage in some cases to the people who are attempting to be great so and that's the, that's that's another question about cost cost analysis right so i guess the big takeaway here is everyone focus on skills <laughs> not taking damage that's your path to greatness um but that's the physical public service announcement right there that's the well, physical side of it but i was going to say is the cost of being great expending your mate's health <laughs> in order of pursuit of it in that case the greats don't have friends kind of, they just have trading partners I mean, <laughs> kind of sounds like it doesn't it to a, yeah I, I mean i absolutely think so right like i think and this I, I i maybe this is totally unfounded right but i feel like one of the reasons why connor and artem are so close is because connor understands what Artem has sacrificed mm -hmm. for Connor's greatness, right? Yeah. Like, you you know, I'm sure there has been other training partners for Conor McGregor that have gotten in trouble or scraps or here or there. You've never seen him jump on a private plane with 20 lads and go and storm a fucking building for him, have you? You know, yeah. it, that shit just doesn't, doesn't happen. But the bond that you build is because you understand that a person is sacrificing themselves for your progression, for your greatness, whatever level in the hierarchy of greatness that you attain, right? That's the same with jiu-jitsu athletes, mm -hmm. right? Like there are guys that I'm sure you all know that are happy to put their body on the line so that a guy can get ready for a competition or a sub-only match or this or that or the next thing. And okay, it's to a lesser degree, but you can still do some serious damage in, 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 in grappling training over a, you know, a compounded amount of time. So mm -hmm. to your point, Robbie, I think there absolutely is that there is a, there is an either a conscious or an unconscious bias between a certain person, but also a conscious and unconscious understanding that one person is sacrificing their body more than the other for sure. Yeah. You could be a 30% oh. better journeyman. But you've sacrificed that to make this person ten percent better in the upper echelon, and that's a trade. That's a trade-off somewhere, and somewhere. Absolutely. The Artem Connor is probably a good example. Maybe they've had that chat and agreed it. Whereas some people, I think it just happens naturally. Like you say, the hierarchy exists and it just happens. Yeah. Well, that's a bit sobering. Um, so the nice, uh, sad takeaway from this bit is that if you want to be great, find yourself a human punching bag, or maybe there's something quite that bad, but, you know, it's along those lines. Um, yeah. And to make it a bit more sober, do we want to move on to the fact that you're going to have uh, no friends, no life, no anything else apart from <laughs> apart from martial arts in order to, I mean, to be great? If we could just round out the point... <laughs> Um, just to make sure we're being as sobering as possible. Like, okay. I think the point of head trauma, regardless, right? Like, if you look, and this is a this is a cost of. I think just to add one word to the sentence of cost of being great, and it's the cost of chasing greatness, right? We talked about Tony Ferguson before. We talked about Frankie Edgar in the most recent fights. We talk about Mike Perry. We talk about Donald Cerrone. We talk about all of these guys that we. Maybe not Mike Perry, but guys that are going to go down <laughs> as like legends of our sport. Diego Sanchez, Cowboy, Matt Brown, Carlos Condit, these guys, right? The guys that put it all on the line to achieve greatness and didn't quite make it, right? A lot of the guys that we're watching right now in the UFC that are all top 10, top five fighters, right? 
they're doing the same thing. Justin Gaethje is an absolutely fantastic example, right? Will that man win the belt? Probably not. If he def- if he does win it, is he going to defend it multiple times? Who knows, right? But that man has put himself through so much damage to chase what he determined to be greatness. And I think uh, something to highlight here is that we've already talked about, you know, on the come up, you're supposed to take damage to get yourself ready and put yourself in a situation and be able to deal with, with when you're taking damage in a fight. Fine, no problem. But the guys that have made it but aren't quite great, the damage that they've taken is incredible. Mm-hmm. Just to get close. <laughs> right. Just to take a shot. Well, <laughs> anyway then. <laughs> well, I guess the way we're going to transition that one is, um, I mean, part of the reason... Note. <laughs> not much of a lighter note. I don't think we're going to be that. The whole point about the, the whole podcast is about cost. Um, yeah, I mean, part of the reason for that is you've got to invest so much time, and like it's that sort of slow grind on you. I mean, at the end of the day, people can take a lot of damage before you actually start seeing effects. The reason you see effects is because people invest so much time and effort into sparring and into training that's why these accumulative things happen and this is why um you know just as an aside that an amateur athlete is actually gonna be a lot more healthy than a professional athlete in a lot of ways um just because you do a nice reasonable amount but when you're being a professional you have to commit your life to it and so to you be know fair, oh sorry go uh, well, I was, I was so I was listening to the uh, John Danaher um, Lex Friedman podcast, and um, in Fantastic. it, John, great podcast, and in it, uh, John Danaher mentions that um, you know there's a certain degree of luck uh, involved in becoming great because some people he listed off a few reasons and it says some people fall in love and uh, go and have a family. Um, and that's a wonderful path to take, but it's not the path to being a world champion. And it kind of works the other way around. In order to be a world champion, that's something you've got to sacrifice as well. It, it's pretty hard to hold down a, 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 an actual relationship and a, a healthy social life if you're trying to be a an, if you're trying to be one of the greats in the world. I think um, you're absolutely right. And if you go, like, if we look at either a grappling athlete, right? Obviously, Gordon has has his relationship with his strength and conditioning coach, who happens to grapple as well, right? So that's a that's a perfect, you know, a perfect relationship in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But if you go and look at a lot of MMA fighters, it feels like the relationships there. There's been a decision made, right? And that decision made is either the male on the male side or the female side, whatever it is, that they are going to make the sacrifices and they're going to support the person undoubtedly mm-hmm. wholeheartedly for that person to then go and chase their goal. Right. Yeah. I've got a perfect example would be, um, is it, uh, oh God, uh, the one, the one championship champion. Is it Angela Lee? Mm-hmm. Not Andrea Lee. Andrea Lee's in the UFC. And- Angela, Angela Lee. Lee. Angela Lee, um, I believe her husband uh, had to quit on his MMA dreams to pursue uh, and to stay in like stay in business just so they could make enough money to do it. And he's now transitioned back over to MMA, sure. but so many years lost. He's never going to be the level that he could have been. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. And, you know, you talk about uh, people have no friends, right? I mean, I think there's... That's obviously a you know a nice tagline, and I think outside of the social aspects, where something that's that's uh, outside of whatever the sport is that you do, right? Sure, you may not be able to hold uh, the level of social life that you would have. However, I think there's two points here, and I'm gonna. These are both positive points for chasing greatness. The first one is um, the kinship that you do cultivate when you're having day in, day out meetings and blood, sweat, tear exchanges with another set of humans, right? We must remember that humans still 
at the time of speaking, are tribal animals, right? We we crave that, we want that, and and that sort of physical preparation amongst other people is fantastic for us. And we connect with that very deeply. So the relationships that you have with these people also form extremely strong bonds, right? So that's the first thing that's, yeah, cool. You may not have no mates to go down the pub with, grand. But yeah. the people on the mats are very close friends. I'm looking at Lee when I say yeah. that, obviously. I, I have um, no <laughs> friends who are great at MMA. Sorry, Robert. But you have lots of friends at the pub. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I've not got a problem. You've exactly. got a problem. Right. And... The other point is is about the choice to chase greatness, right? You're actively making a choice, as John Dannett has said. You're actively making a choice in your hierarchy of choices that being a grappling world champion, an MMA world champion, whatever it is, is the top of your priority, right? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess maybe this isn't actually such a dark point as I thought it was um, because – I mean, the thing is, you do have to bear in mind that it's the time investment. It's the fact that you can't do other stuff. Um, and, and, you know, that's going to mean that you can't travel as much. Like, if you want to, be, you need to settle down in the gym. You need to stay there. You need to train a lot. You can't just fuck off to somewhere for a year uh, unless you've, like, prearranged the gym and everything. You, you can't travel the world in that way. Um, but also, at the same time, um, who am I to say what's more valuable between um, pursuing your, you know, uh, pursuing personal growth via um, challenge and via physical adversity. And who's to say it's better to chase personal growth via seeing more of the world and probably having a much more relaxed time. But, you know, they're both completely viable ways to grow as a person, see more of the world, go through more challenge. And, you know, uh, that, maybe that's not such a dark point. That's just one. You've got to pick what's right for you. But yeah. there is going to be a cost there. You can only really pick one. Mm-hmm. You can only pick one in the prime of your life. Sure. And you can, and I think and you can pick wrong as well, which is where it probably gets a bit more dark, is sure, people I make think... that sacrifice who should be told not to make that sacrifice. 100%. I think, though, to, just to tag on to Robbie's point, is that a lot of life is about purpose, right? Finding and determining a purpose. So if you are somebody that fits into Lee's bracket that should be chasing said dream, whatever said dream is, and shouldn't be down the pub with their mates, a la Lee, um, what you've got is you've got a very strong sense of purpose, And it's almost a self-defining, self-reinforcing purpose. Because if you do turn out to be on the path of greatness, then that's a massive motivating factor for you to stay the course. The thing that does get a bit dark for me, as just as an aside to Lee's point, is if you believe you're on the path to being greatness and everyone tells you around you that you are, but you're actually not. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the trouble, isn't it? It's the. I think the reason that's a problem is because of the sacrifice. Is that you make that sacrifice, whether you're, you, yeah, it's it's like what we said earlier. You make that sacrifice not to be great. You make that sacrifice uh, for the pursuit of being great, yeah. and that doesn't mean you're going to get it. Mm. Um, but also, that's isn't isn't that just life? Um, you know that that could be the same for anything in life not even greatness that's just you pick the wrong university degree you 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 go through the wrong door you make the wrong friends you do anything um that's quite hard to tell um and and you're going to be committing a lot of your life to anything either way it's it's quite hard to tell whether that's specific to actually martial arts in this case well, I don't think greatness pertains to just martial arts either, though, right? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I, I completely agree that that choice is obviously a very valuable asset when it comes to becoming great or not becoming great. You know, like if you know, it's not even just about Jim. Right? You got John Jones, obviously great, right? But then Diego Sanchez was at Jackson Wink for the longest time. 
now he's hanging upside down by a peen getting his head pushed. <laughs> and I mean, actually, right, just to, to, I don't mean that as a joke. I mean that as sobering as it sounds. Like, mm-hmm. that is the cost of greatness, right? Diego Sanchez is the cost of chasing greatness. That man had iron will self-belief. Yeah. A great wrestling background. But he just didn't quite have the skills to not get himself in wars. He was probably a little bit too small when he was first fighting. And he was always sparring bigger guys. That's probably a lot of where the toughness came from. Also, the Mexican side, you know, these things happen. But what what it's resulted in is a man that's so severely damaged. Yeah. His, his notions of reality are so severely warped that he's been corrupted in a lot of ways by this fucking melt of a human (laughs) and that person has convinced him to hang upside down from a bar and take further fucking head trauma like what are we doing but but you know this age-old story it happens over and over bj penn the same thing you know if you look at the title of this podcast right it's the cost of being great there's a consistent thing that's gone through it and it's not the cost of being great. It's the cost of being close to being great. And they pay the highest cost because they pay very similar costs with no result of becoming great. The greats get the reward in the end because they became the greats. GSP's back hurts, I'm sure. I bet his knee's fucked and I bet his brain's a bit scrambled. But actually, he's minted and everyone loves it. Well, not even that, right? If you take the money out of it, because I think a lot of fighters actually at that level, the money's kind of, that's not what they're chasing. When GSP speaks now, he can say openly, I am the one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. And he's going to be able to say that forever. And he's got that now. And if you ask him, was it worth it? He's probably going to say yes. When you sit down with Diego Sanchez when that like unwavering belief starts to crack because it does when you get older and you realize you can't do it at 42 anymore and you ask him was it worth it that's that's the cost and that's the worst cost because you didn't get the sadly what you needed to get do you think though if you sat down right now with bj penn that man is great he is yeah he is but he's paid all of the prices of a man chasing greatness, but not quite getting there. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think for me, that also comes to skill acquisition. It reverts us all the way back. Like Diego now socially is fucked. He can't seem to leave his house without being arrested for some sort of alcohol or substance abused, re- abuse related incident. Allegedly. But but that's what the newspapers seem to be saying. So is that because he was in wars where he was licking people's blood off his hands? Is that because there was some preconceived notion in his brain that was just alleviated and elevated by MMA? Was it something else? I think this is probably something to talk about on the mental aspect as well, is that if you manage to be great in MMA, if you manage to be in the top five, the top 10, the top 15, of the UFC or Bellator rankings, you are an outlier to 99% of humans, Mm -hmm. right? So is it that the greatest are just further outliers? Is that positive? Does that, does that negatively or, or positively impact their social abilities as a regular functioning human, right? Because if you think of BJ, right, as as Connor, as another person, John Jones, Mate, How many issues John Jones, John Jones they're on? not exactly the most functioning humans in society. Yeah. Right? So is yeah. that a necessary point of being great? That's a good point. Yeah, because yeah, we keep harping on about GSP, but he's actually a very well-adjusted guy for the amount of fights he's had. He believes in fucking aliens and thinks he's dinosaurs are He's still well-adjusted. I mean, when he's still well-adjusted. If you take the generation when they fought similar, you compare him to BJ Penn, he's very well-adjusted compared to BJ oh, yeah, Penn. I'm and, not making a Yeah, no, I, but I, I get your point, and it's a, it's a really good point around 
the cost of being great is actually it might not be the sacrifices it might be how you're genetically made up you you're not socially the same as everybody else you're not emotionally the same as everybody else you have triggers that especially if you get into mma or combat sports you're you're just genetically different and that means when you stop doing that you've not really got anything else so you, you get to fights in parking lots and things like that and this was a point I was going to bring up, and not not so much the fights side of things, more the um, more the obsession and the specialization side of things, um, because this sort of carries over not just to getting in fights in the parking lot, but it carries over to the fact that, um, well, I mean, I've not regretted anyone we've interviewed, but I'm not going to interview just anyone just because they're a fighter because we're trying to get people who are interesting to talk to right Mm -hmm. and unfortunately if all you know is fighting it doesn't actually make for very interesting conversation um (laughs) if that's the only thing you can discuss because really what we try to do in this podcast is talk about the social impacts of it and the impacts of you know yeah, it's mostly the social impacts, actually. We talk about it being philosophy, but I think actually it's more how it impacts society and the people who do the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are so specialized that fighting's all you can think about and do, it's quite limiting socially um, when you just try to interact with other people. Um, and maybe that's where I'll leave it. I mean, the other thing I was going to say is we recently released um, – why retiring is so hard and you know i don't want to get into the uh, career side of things but that's quite telling it's the fact that once you quit it you can't go anywhere else because you don't know anything else other than fighting yeah i mean i think there's two points here uh just to i did a podcast with rob drysdale ex-adcc right? champion now owen nice. zenith um and this was ages ago right and it was around the time of the, the Trump that? campaign, right? And um, it was one of my, yeah, it was one of my first episodes, like episode 14 or something. All right, um, let's scroll back and listen to that one at some point. <laughs> thank you, that's very kind. Um, but uh, one thing, we talked about Gordon Ryan, right? Gordon Ryan uh, was, was, was having a, a bit of a rant about Donald Trump over the preceding weeks and, and whatever, right? And I said to Drysdale, like, what, essentially I kind of asked this question, like, as a man that's won ADCC, right? However, well read he is now. Like, how do you feel about somebody having that sort of voice in the sport, right? What do you feel about that? And he summed it up beautifully. He was like, if I want to have, if I have a question about grappling, one of the first people on my list would be Gordon Ryan to ask. Yeah. Yeah. If I have a question about socioeconomic problems and, yeah. and the American democratic situation, I'm probably not going to ask Gordon Ryan. Yeah. Right? And I think this kind of points to goes to your point, right? If I have a question about MMA and GSP's in the room, that's the person I want to ask, right? If I have a question about wrestling or grappling and Habib Nurmagomedov is in the room, I'm probably going to ask Habib, what do you think about this, right? I mean, I wouldn't because I'd be too nervous to ask him. You get the point, right? Like, however, <laughs> if I wanted to have a conversation about, you know, how the the philosophical effects of the lockdown have have, have degraded the the human notion of connect, connection between each other, probably not going to go to Khabib about that. Yeah, you know. So I think I think there's something here though about what we build fighters to be. Right, and that's that because we see them and they're they're so specialized in one thing, we just expect them to have a breadth of knowledge on everything else, and that's just not the case. Right, back to a trend in this podcast though around me going to the pub. I am asking John Jones for night out <laughs> ideas because he knows how to have a good night out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to, well, it's not run to say over that- a female. <laughs> Well, not that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's not to say that people can't uh, be MMA fighters and have other areas of not necessarily expertise, but areas of knowledge. Um, mm. But if they are an MMA fighter or they are, spe- to be honest, again, let's take it away from martial arts. If they are a, sp- 
a, a real specialist in any field where you have to commit your life into doing it. And also they're quite knowledgeable on another field. You can be pretty certain that, you know, the third field, the fourth thing you ask them about, they're going to be quite lacking in knowledge about it because at the end of the day, there are only, well, there's only so many years, there's so many, yeah, there's only so many years in your life. There's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much you can read up on and do and experience. And again, not necessarily a bad thing, but it's kind of back to this thing about, you know, you're going to have to make some choices in life and you're going to have to choose what you're going to do. You are, at the end of the day, if you're choosing to be great, you are choosing to be a specialist and you are going to have to choose to neglect other fields in order to pursue that. For sure. For sure. Um, And I... Yeah, I mean, I agree. I also think the expectation of people should be lowered, probably, right? And that's that, as you as you said, there's only a certain amount of time in a day, right? If you're a professional MMA fighter, maybe you're training twice a day, maybe you're training once a day, but a lot of your thought is consumed to being as present and getting as much out of your training sessions that day and then after your mind is entirely surrounded to either the next training session or recovery right and it's doing your your research on who you're fighting what's this what's that what's the next thing what's the best optimal uh, position situation for recovery for this for that for the next thing right um so yeah you're right the 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 consumption of the human brain you only have a certain amount of capacity that you can fulfill um and I, i i think if you're choosing greatness, if that's your endeavor in life, then I don't think we can expect much more from people than that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, if you were to go to any field, if you were to go to a philosophy professor, right. And you asked him about cooking at a really granular level, he's not going to have a fucking clue. Yeah. Not going to have a fucking clue, but we wouldn't expect that. Go find the best, go find the best spinal surgeon in the world. And I bet yeah. they're useless at like most things. Yeah, of I, course. I, like, it's... You're like, how do you crack an egg? And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's it, though, isn't it? I think most people in the world are generalists, and you know, I very much consider myself to be a generalist. Like, I think I'm better at, I don't know, general. I don't even know if po- podcasting is the right term. Like better at talking to people questioning people and i'm better at martial arts i'm a bit better at those two things than i am at most other things but at the end of the day um, my, my skill set is pretty broad and not super deep in any particular field like i'm i'm okay well, deep sounds like a serious combination mm. to me yeah <laughs> yeah right like <laughs> but it's 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 very broad and it's not particularly you know no one area is all that amazing Right, maybe compared to, you know, average Joe on the street, some bits are, but not compared to someone who's dedicated, you know, a, a good portion of their life to something. And you know, most people are going to be generalists at life, and that's probably a good thing because I think if everyone in the world was really specialised at particular fields, I don't think society would function all that well. But this is kind of the point, right? As we talked about earlier about a hierarchy of training partners, right? Well, it's the same in in life, yeah. right? You have to have generalists in order for there to be special. Every CEO needs a if board underneath him and people underneath them to run the company. It's it's the same as a fighter. If you take Conor exactly. McGregor as the CEO of his kind of career, gym, whatever, Atom Lovov's just his director of being punched in the face. <laughs> I mean, to that point... I do think, though, that in a lot of ways, SBG were the first big gym to pioneer a different type of training, right? Like they, John talks quite openly about how they try to do simulation rounds, right? Mm-hmm. Where they turn the lights off in the gym and they just have a light over the cage and they have the walkout music and they play fans and all this stuff. And then you have a spa at 50% or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, okay, it's head trauma. Absolutely it is. But but 
it's it's with the intention of readying yourself for a situation, the, the the sort of ethereal situation, rather than readying yourself by battering the guy in front of you. Right? Don't get me wrong. I, I, we've all probably seen footage of Connor knocking people down, inspiring. I know I have. I'm sure you guys have in the past as well. It's not uncommon to be seen. However, there's a time and a place for that, right? And I think, I think as you're, you're kind of saying, there's specialisms and generalists. And, and I think, however, the one thing I will say is as MMA grows, the generalists learn from the specialists, right? So the, the level of generalism rises. Yep. And the, I want to sort of link this to the point that you were making before about an exit strategy from for the greatest and the people chasing greatness, right? And that exit strategy generally, I find, is getting better and better. Like if you look at Rich Franklin or you look at Matt Hughes or you look at Chuck Liddell or whatever, like these guys needed to be handed an exit strategy, right? Chuck was given a job to do fuck all <laughs> for years, right? Why? Because Dana knew that he was going to continue fighting if he didn't pay the man to not fight, Yep. right? The same with Rich Franklin. Matt Hughes ends up getting hit by a train and then kills cats and sets animals on fire and beats his wife and all sorts, right? Like there has to be an, allegedly, obviously, there has to be an, an exit strategy, right? Whereas now... You see guys like Sean O'Malley has a clothing brand. He has a Twitch stream. You see the Ray Longo and Matt Serra guys are all estate agents. You see <laughs> Conor McGregor is a CEO of a multi-million dollar company. Mm-hmm. Israel Alasanya has a clothing brand and a podcast. And this fighter has a podcast and that and this. And that. We're in an age now where as the sport grows, the socioeconomic understanding of what happens afterwards has risen the specialists of before and i mean specialists in failing after they've left the sport have shown the generalists there needs to be more right there needs to be something else and when you get to a position of not greatness but when you get to a position of affluence in a sport then it's time to diversify, right? GSP, I don't know if you saw, he did an interview relatively recently about how he spent his first million dollars. Mm-hmm. Anyone see that? Yeah, uh, I haven't, but... Um, yeah, so like I'm he bought some aware. fun shit, right? Bought some fun shit, invested some money, bought a house, straight out, just bought a house, right? Is it like, cool, if the worst happens and I fail at this fighting thing, I have a house that's paid off, it's mine. I ain't got to pay a mortgage, it's mine, right? So... You know, there is a there is a, a diversification now between what happens post greatness in I'd say the pre GSP era and what happens post GS GSP era. Well, in that case, maybe it's a good point that um, you don't have to be a specialist in one thing. You can be a specialist in you can be a specialist in one thing and then be a sort of kind of pretty good at another and that's not going and that isn't a cost of being great you don't have to neglect every other skill you just kind of have to you're probably going to have to neglect some others but the cost of being great isn't neglecting everything else yeah well yeah i mean Whilst we say, whilst we said earlier that, you know, when you're a professional athlete, your mind is consumed by essentially that thing. It's also not plausible to think that of your 24 hours a day, minus eight hours sleep. Yeah. So in the 16 hours that you're awake, that all 16 hours are going to be entirely in a gym, on a mat, in a ring, training. It's just not, that's not going to happen. Right. So, unless you're the Daisy Fresh guys, obviously, maybe that's <laughs> but, you know different story. What you what you have is you even as a professional MMA athlete. Like I wanted to actually challenge what you said previously. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around slightly, but the thoughts are already just coming into my head. You said before that an amateur MMA athlete is probably in a better condition. I'm not sure, you know, because mm. they're generally working a full time job, right? And then, not to say professional athletes aren't, a lot of them are, but when you get to that echelon where you don't have to, 
these guys, they've dedicated their life to the sport and they're able to do two a days, no job. They just live off their earnings from fighting or competing or whatever it is. As an amateur MMA guy or an amateur jiu-jitsu guy, not that there is such a thing as professional jiu-jitsu, but, you know, what you have is you have a full nine-to-five job. You may even have two nine-to-five, you know, two jobs. And then you've got fighting on top of that. And maybe you're still fitting two a days in, right? Yeah, I know. So to clarify my point earlier, um, that was more in reference not to MMA. That was, Ah, generally speaking, um, amateur athletes in general tend to be a lot healthier long-term than professional athletes just because... Of all of everything we talked about at the start, the whole fact that you're committing and you're having to take all this damage, um, I kind of feel like we maybe have uh, rounded out the different uh, subjects here. Unless we've got another big one to to hit on. Um, I don't think so. I, I right. feel like there's something that we that, that we have there probably is to say, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Well, let me let me recap quick, and if there's any others, we'll jump in, and if not, we'll close it off. So sure. we've got uh, so the costs are either you you're going to have to find your mate to sacrifice. That is a real cost. Yeah. Um, then, generally speaking, there's the time invested into it, and that's the fact that you're going to have to choose to not invest it elsewhere. In a long term, that's going to be. You're not going to be able to travel as easily. You're not going to be able to do projects away as easily. And in short term, that means you're going to be investing a lot more of your day and a lot more of your thoughts into fighting rather than thinking about other stuff and functioning as a more normal social human being. Um, and then there's the fact that there's the the physical toll on your body. And this is more of the pursuit of being great rather than being great itself. Well, actually, maybe all of these are. Um, it's the fact that you're going to be taking damage either way. It's just maybe as a great, but as one of the great MMA athletes, you're not necessarily going to be taking as much damage, ironically, as those people who fail at being great. Were there any other big ones? I have a question that I want to round this out on, if nobody on, else then. has any topics. Go on. So I'm going to ask you a question, each of you, and give an answer, and then I'll, I'll give my thoughts, and then we can close on that. Do you think the cost of being great is worth it? Do you think the cost of chasing greatness and being great is worth it? That's very arbitrary and kind of like philosophically personal because it's only if you make it as great in your mind. If you achieve it in your mind, then I'm sure it is. Depending on how great in what and what you paid for it. If I, I, if I get I think- to be a CEO, is it worth it? By being great at that, by getting brain trauma and all of this, probably not, no. Whereas for martial arts, probably you can justify the trade-off. I think it depends on how great you get and what you sacrifice. I think it's even broader than that. I think it's not even about like what you... It's just about what your values are, Um, you know, because this is going to be way too broad a question to say, hey, yes, it's worth it. No, it's not. I mean, at the end of the day, Diego Sanchez might say it's worth it. It, this is too um, arbitrary a thing. I mean, you personally have to define what your values are and you have to define what you get out of it. And at the end of the day, um, this is kind of why I mentioned about like personal growth, like being the, like if you travel and see the world, it's personal growth, or if you struggle through adversity, it's personal growth. I think that's because that's one of the things I kind of focus on sometimes. That's kind of what I see is I'm not very goal-oriented, I'm more about like growth oriented, I think. And it's just building on what you've already got. And to be quite frank, in that case, I don't need to get to the end. I know I don't need to get to the great status. I just need to feel like I'm kind of progressing. And that's going to be sort of a thing that people have to determine on their own. What are you getting out of it? And how does it fit with your own personal value systems? So... You cannot answer your question, and I expect you knew that was going to be uh, mine and Lee's response. With a comment like that, yeah, though, Robbie, I mean, you can tell you moved to Brighton for sure. <laughs> I mean, just to, I'm going to, actually, that was perfect because you both gave completely different answers, right? Essentially. Um, and, and the point of the question was, was this the title of the podcast was The Cost of Being Great. 
And actually, the cost of being great is just as unidentifiable as whether chasing greatness is worth the cost, because mm-hmm. they're also a determination of your values, right? Yep. The cost of being great is entirely relative. You could be somebody that's, you know, the, the, the old adage of a fighter coming up is broke, run down, overworked, overtired, struggling through success, right? You will undoubtedly have somebody that's extremely affluent, extremely high society, but just has that drive to work, right? That achieves some level of greatness in another sport that's probably not in the main. But anyway, right? So the cost for that person being great is relative to the cost of somebody else being great. So whilst we've identified what the costs are to us, they're entirely just as unidentifiable as whether those costs are worth the sacrifice, right? That are worth the reward. Now, my only other point I'll make is a slight critique of of Robbie saying he's not goal-orientated. That's not true. If because you're goal orientated because your goal is growth. Okay. Okay. Right. But like, fine. You may not be multi goal orientated, but as broad and deep as you are, sir, there is a goal there, and that goal is growth. It's to be broader Um, and deeper. Yeah, you can't be broader and deeper. Deep. I would like to put that out there. I think it's a broad and not very deep. Well, uh, what we heard and what the rest of the world is hearing is that you are broad and deep, my friend. So. Just own that and take that for all it's worth. Um, all right, cool. We'll go with it. But yeah, I mean, I think on the costs, I think I, what I do think and what is, uh, what's been really important, I think, in this podcast for your listeners is that it shines a light on the most common factors, the most common things that you'll see on, on a receipt for either chasing greatness or becoming great is some of the things that we've mentioned. There are some that are globally available and they'll be on everybody's receipt when they walk out of the greatness little right and there'll be some that have some items checked off because they've got reward points right but there's not the same for everyone right mm-hmm. no it's a good point all right i think we ended that that is that is a good place to end it pick your goals pick your values work with them we hope you enjoyed that episode if you did please consider subscribing to the podcast and checking us out on youtube facebook and instagram under the name combat thoughts we'll see you next time